1: and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen at the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and up in President Select States. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com RG.
2: or its affiliates.
3: Welcome to the Ringer Gambling Show. I am joined today in person by the one and only Ben Solak. We are live from Radio Row on the Ringer set. We've turned this Ringer set into the Ringer Gambling Show set, Ben. We're going to run through all of your bets, props, talk e- talk to you about every single angle that you got on this game, and try to do it in 60 minutes. Yeah. We'll see if we can. How yeah, are you doing? Luck.
0: Well, actually, it's nice. Here in California, I haven't been able to uh, place as many bets as maybe I usually would have in the first <laughs> few days. Of, uh, of Super Bowl week. Maybe that'll change for California in a year or two. But in, no, I got a lot of props in early and I think it's really fun to do like a whole show kind of focused on props because you and I know this, but maybe like the average sports better doesn't. You can really hit the prop market hard and hit it successfully. And if people aren't super comfortable betting props or you know, mostly know how to bet lines and bet totals and don't really know what the angle is for betting player props, this is a good show and it's a good game too take a couple and start to figure out, okay, how do we prognosticate a players receiving yards, their longest reception, rushing totals, pass attempts, and all that stuff. Because if you can do that well, it's a really exploitable market right now because of how new it is.
3: No, it absolutely is. And the number one thing that I want to ask you first and foremost, were you jamming and ramming props before you left to come out here?
0: Yes. I. And, and the thing is, uh, I like to get in early on props. And I think that you you get bad lines early. So I was the Super Bowl with two weeks kind of changes that a little bit just because firstly it gets so much attention early, right? Everybody's betting on it. But then secondly, the books are giving you as large of an exposure as they can. They got lines out. Like usually we see props mid-season come out. What like Wednesday, Thursday, they had props out on Monday, Tuesday, yep. oh, last week, you know yep. what I mean? So they're kind of trying to bait you a little bit, but I do have my positions that I like. I did have my projections. I like right away. We talked about acres unders. So we'll talk about a couple of receivers today. Um, and Other than that, yeah, I'm just sitting here hoping no book makes an error this week that I can't take advantage of because I'm stuck here in Cali.
3: Yeah, and and that was actually a factor in my changing my return flight back to a day earlier so that I could be out here, do all this live, and then get back home to continue to bet as we approach uh, game day. We're still going to be recording the show with House on Friday. I will be back in Virginia, though, at that point in time to do that live from my setup with my six computer monitors and all the outs that I need to access. So, uh, but let's dive right in here. Enough with the pleasantries. I think we've been talking about this game for a while. We don't need to analyze big picture about the game unless you have actually placed a bet since we last talked on the side or total.
0: No, I'm still on the under 48 and a half. I'm still on uh, the Rams. I actually, I should say I've taken a Rams alt. I have to actually check what that is. I, I forgot to pull that up. But I I believe the game goes one of two ways. It's either low scoring close or it's the Rams score a lot and the Bengals aren't really to to keep up with that. And I I talked about the Bengals team total in last week's show. And so to me, you know, Rams at minus six and a half Rams, even as high as minus nine and a half are things that I looked at because I do see this being a potential multi-score game at the end.
3: Okay, so let's do this. What I want from you right now is. Your strongest few prop bets will go one at a time. The ones that you have either liked the most or, you know, logically you would be putting the most on those game on those bets. Uh, but which prop bets do you think you love the most and potentially maybe still have value? Uh, some of these may have moved. I don't expect yep. you on the, you know, the snap of a finger to know what the updated line is. Let's not worry about that element. Let's just do what you're aware of. What's one that you love a lot? For So I'll
0: give you one that's still available right now. We'll start there. Uh, Joe Burrow under 36 and a half passing attempts. And this is uh, right now at most books, it's got juice on the under. You're going to see minus 125 at FanDuel. You'll see minus 135 at some sharp offshore books. DraftKings is still minus 110. And that's a bet that I've already taken and I would take now at DraftKings if you can. Uh, We talked about Burrow passing attempts two weeks ago when they were playing the Titans. And I was confident he would get over this exact number, 36 and a half. And he barely did it, Warren, on the last play. Why? He took nine sacks, right? The pressure, they had so many dropbacks. They had dropbacks that projected to 39, to 40, to 41 passing attempts. But they couldn't get to that number because the amount of times Burrow was getting hit. And I think that you're going to see that impact this number in two ways. One, the passing numbers might go down because you're going to see sacks from Aaron Donald. You're going to see sacks from Von Miller. Not going to be able to get the ball out. And two, with the number of hits that he's taken, I expect them to, unfortunately, run the ball a little bit more than they probably should have. This thirty-six and a half line is getting priced as most; uh, uh, it's getting priced correctly relative to the season when the Bengals were underdogs. Burrow was usually in the high thirties, but I think in this late game situation, after the year has gone on with the amount of hits he's taken in the, in the playoffs, I expect them to be a little bit more run heavy. And I expect him to eat the ball on sacks and eat the ball on scrambles, too. He scrambled a little bit more in the postseason than he has during the entire season. That, to me, gets this number below 36 and a half. So that's one I liked. I liked it right before I left, and it's still exploitable if you have DraftKings.
3: Now, let me ask you, before I give any analysis on that, what about the yardage related to that? Do you like his yardage under? Do you have an opinion there? Obviously, this one is the strongest angle. Do you just not think, do you think he might have some bigger completions down the field that, go over the yardage? How do you feel about his yardage? Yeah. So
0: there is a longest reception I like for one of his receivers. And I think we'll talk about that a little bit later. What I do like in correlation with this is looking at Joe Burrow's rushing yards, right? And right now the line is set at 11 and a half. And I told you, I think you could scramble a little bit. I think it's something that you could see. The books are reflecting that way too aggressively. In my opinion, I do think he could scramble. I think he could pick up a first down 11 and a half is a lot of yards for a player who doesn't really move that fast in Joe Burrow, and while he has scrambled recently, is not gonna be like, you know, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes picking up the first down and then continuing to turn up field. You know what I mean? Burrow's going to go get exactly what is necessary to pick up a first down and then get to the ground, right? And so I think that books are trying to bake in a little bit of that uncertainty with these, these potential scrambles with all this pressure into a rushing yard line that in my opinion is too high. Uh, and so for as much, I like under passing attempts, but I also took under 11 and a half rushing yards for Joe Burrow. I just think that there's going to be too much pressure for him to be sustaining long drives, getting all the downs, all the reps that are needed to hit some of these totals. Here's
3: another one. If you guys do agree with Ben and you want to go under on his rushing yards, what about under nine and a half for his longest rushing attempt? It's too big. Eight it's and a half, big. nine and a half. I've seen it at both spots. It seems like that's a good number. Now, let me throw this out to you with regard to the passing in general. I listed, I, I did this 56 page, 54 page, whatever it is, right up on the Super Humble Bowl. Humble brag, very and, casual. And I did like a two page write up. Ca- very casual. And what I uncovered is this. Joe Burrow has played just one game against a top 10 pass defense this season. If you look back at all the other quarterbacks that made the divisional round, I'll rattle them off to you in terms of these quarterbacks and the top pass defenses that they played. Tom Brady, nine. Josh Allen and Jimmy G, both with eight. Matthew Stafford, seven games against top 10 pass defenses. Ryan Tannehill, six. Aaron Rodgers, five. Patrick Mahomes, four. You have to go all the way down. Joe Burrow. One. So, who was that team? The team was the Tennessee Titans. Nice, and they got nine sacks against him, uh-huh. and they pressured the hell out of him. Only and kicked field goals. Only kicked field goals. And, and got the opening field goal when, because they were in field goal range already from a Tannehill right. interception, yeah, yeah. this was not a team that was rolling down the field, having a lot of success, moving the football. Joe Burrow's statistics in that game, not very good whatsoever. So when you look at his overall statistics and you say, well, this year he was top 10 in EPA. He was number one in yards per attempt, number one in completion rate, number 14 in success rate. A lot of these things look good, but when you factor in the strength of schedule that he played, not nearly as good let's go for another prop that you like what is a number two prop that you would say you like
0: yeah so we um uh steven ruiz who works for uh, the ringer here is a great nfl writer you find him on the ringer nfl show wrote a really cool piece about the uh, the effect that jalen ramsey shadowing jamar chase is gonna have right uh this Bengals offense has faced a vic fangio inspired vic fangio tree defense whatever framework you want to use four times this season right they played uh the Denver Broncos, that's Vic Fangio. They played the Los Angeles Chargers. That's Brandon Staley, who was Vic Fangio. Uh, Chicago, Sean Desai, coached under Fangio. And then Green Bay, Joe Barry, who coached under Brandon Staley. This Rams defense is like kind of Fangio tree. It's not 100% just because we've talked about this before. Raheem Morris is running that system and never coached it. But in general, when we saw those teams play the Bengals, uh, they were 1-3, They scored a total of 19 points when we saw jamar chase get shadowed for example michael davis for the chargers in this staley style defense three receptions on five targets 32 yards and an interception he did get open down the field on one and they missed it and they had that incompletion but in general they weren't big chase games when they were facing this team right patrick sertan was able to to keep chase locked up against the broncos and that really slowed down this offense Jamar Chase's lines are appropriately large. I understand why they're large. He's their, their dude, he's their go-to guy. He's been the guy who brought them here. But for me, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a bigger T. Higgins game than we see a Jamar Chase game. So right now you can find Jamar Chase at 78 and a half. You can find T. Higgins at 69 and a half. I would prefer to take Higgins over 69 and a half than I would to take Jamar Chase over 78 and a half. The other thing I really like there is the implication in terms of longest reception, right? T. Higgins is a guy who gets down the field. He's a, a vertical style receiver and he's going up against a corner in Darius Williams, the corner two for the Rams, who's really, really, Warren really struggled this postseason. Wasn't great during the regular season, really struggled during the postseason. T. Higgins over under uh, for largest, uh, longest reception, Is set at 24 and a half at most books. Uh, He had a 52-yard reception against the Ravens in December. He had 39 against the Chiefs. He had 22 against the Titans. He had another 44-yard against the Chiefs. They are using him down the field late in the season. I like Higgins over 69 and a half, and I like Higgins over 24 and a half for his longest reception.
3: Okay, that makes sense. Now, let me ask you this. We talked about Joe Burrow and probably maybe not throwing the ball as much. Maybe they're going to run the ball a little bit more. We talked about the difficult defense that they're going up against in terms of against the pass, the mismatch the defensive coordinator familiarity and how those guys have done limiting Jamar Chase in the prior games. All that makes sense. I don't want to avoid talking about one of the biggest things that pretty much everybody at Radio Row is discussing when it comes to this game, and that is the offensive line versus the defensive line, the mismatch where the, Ra- where the Bengals' offensive line goes up against this Rams' defensive line. What I specifically want to ask you about is this. I want to share a statistic, and then I want your opinion. Pressure rate. When the Rams blitz, they're getting pressure at about a 30% clip. Yeah. When the Rams don't blitz, they're getting pressure at about a 30% clip. Now, the funny part is the 30% clip when they do blitz only ranks 25th in the NFL, but the 30% pressure rate when they don't blitz ranks number one in the NFL. They are the best team at getting pressure on opposing quarterbacks when they don't blitz. They do blitz at a pretty high rate, though, and there's a mismatch here in talent O-line versus D-line. So let me ask you this. Do you think that they need to blitz at the rate that they are to get pressure and disrupt Joe Burrow and this passing attack? Or do you think that they will dial back the blitzing a little bit because Joe Burrow has been pretty good against the blitz at times?
0: Every time they blitz, the Bengals are thrilled. It's the dumbest thing. Mm, That's rude. But it's the dumbest thing in the world. (laughs) Like... Raheem Morris loves to live in this world where he's playing with five down fronts, right? He's got five guys up in the line of scrimmage. He loves to live in this world where a lot of his blitz packages are just like five-man rushers and they're playing with six behind, right? And they get like one more guy involved and they loop him. And like, they look great on the board. They're awesome. They're always getting these one-on-ones for Donald and for Vaughn because they're presenting five potential rushers. So if you're blocking with five and I'm presenting five rushers, I'm getting one-on-ones wherever I want. Five equals five. Like, this is the most basic math we do on this show. All of that's like it's great, it's nice, whatever. You don't need to do it though because the cost is six guys in coverage. The cost is five guys in coverage. We don't we, we need we do not have the coverage guys to hang with the Bengals for four quarters. We don't do. We don't have it. We have the rush guys that we can win with three rushers against five. Like we have Donald, Leonard Floyd, and Vaughn Miller. That's where our advantage is. So if we're wasting resources, putting dudes on the line of scrimmage or putting dudes in the rush package to guarantee Donald has a one-on-one, instead of just saying Donald, Floyd, Gaines, Miller, somebody win, this offensive line is terrible, then we've taken players out of coverage. We've simplified the reads for Burrow. I want seven dudes in coverage. I want eight dudes in coverage if you're willing. I want to make him think. I want to make him look. I want to make him hold on to that football. Because if you put five on the line, and you tell him like, oh, we might drop Vaughn Miller into coverage. Joe Burrow, that's great news. Burrow's going to look right at him and throw the ball in two seconds because Vaughn is a good player, but dropping in coverage is a waste of his skill set. So I am praying we get low blitz rate. I am praying we get only four down fronts. I'm not sure we do. And honestly, that's part of the reasons why I like T Higgins on the longest reception because when you're only putting six in coverage, you're probably playing man and Higgins versus Darius Williams in man coverage is going to get hammered as opposed to chase versus ramsey man coverage chase will get his he'll get his targets but if burrow lines up reads man and sees 11 over t higgins he's going to throw that matchup until the cows come home it's a huge advantage for the bengals
3: okay amen i could not agree with you more i really hope really hope that sean mcveigh understands that we don't need to blitz to get pressure and we are going to still disrupt this passing attack and cause massive problems even without blitzing, that's absolutely 100%. I couldn't have any more conviction about something in this game than I do. The Rams do not need to blitz Joe Burrow here. They should absolutely play coverage. Okay, another prop bet that you love.
0: Absolutely. So, uh, we're going to stick on a longest reception prop, which I've discovered this year that I, I like these. I work yeah, well. yeah,
3: they're fun, huh? They're
0: really good. They're really good. So, uh, Rams passing game now we'll look to. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. He's been huge for them on the backside. He's been really good in the playoffs. They go three by one. They get him against man coverage. He's scoring touchdowns. Sick. Cooper Cup's going to get his. I was talking with, with our boss, Bill, last night, and he was like, Cooper Cup over 80 yards. I was like, I would take Cooper Cup over 80 yards in my sleep. Like, I don't even need to know anything about the matchup. Cooper Cup's probably getting 80 yards. That's just the volume. That's just the talent level. Van Jefferson, who's a, the Rams' third receiver. He's, you know, had a different role when Robert Woods was there. And then Odell came in, kind of changed the way things worked. Van has become a field stretcher for them. He's become a big play guy. This is from uh, Denny Carter with NBC Sports, your guy. Uh, Jefferson has 9.4 yards per target as opposed to Beckham 6.3 since week 12. Jefferson has 484 air yards, second only to Cup in that span, 14.7 air yards per target since week 12, leads the team. The Bengals did such a good job last week against the Chiefs, do such a good job on defense in general, dedicating resources to what you want to get to. I want to get to Cooper Cup, we're going to take it away. I want to get to Odell, we're going to take it away. There's an opportunity here for Van. 17 and a half yards is one backside dig. That is one dig route at 15 yards and then lunge forward. That's very achievable, not like on like a fly route, not on like a big post, just on any of the Rams' intermediate routes. It's very achievable. And if the Bengals do their job over two weeks, they're going to be ready for that route from Cup. They're going to be ready for that route for Beckham. It creates opportunity for Van Jefferson. And so I looked a little bit at Higby. I like Higby, but not as much as I like Jefferson, over 17 and a half longest reception.
3: Over for Van, longest reception. Yes. Okay. Uh, we we don't I'm know worried yet. about
0: the way you said that. I mean, it felt, felt well, like it was suspicious. I have seen in some of the
3: sharp spots that I've looked, uh, under two and a half receptions for Van. Ooh. So I, I don't remember, know that I, I agree yeah. with that. One big play. I don't know if I agree with that if Higby is out. And... Or have we heard anything? Obviously, I was traveling here
0: yesterday. Have we heard any new updates on Higby? Has he practiced at all? What's the buzz about Higby? So, as of one day ago, Tyler Higby is still a Super Bowl question for Los Angeles Rams. Asked Monday whether Higby will be able to practice at all in the coming days with his injured knee. Coach Sean McVay said, quote, I don't think so. Right now, I would, you know, minus 115 doesn't play, minus 105 does, right? Okay. Uh, CJ Ozoma, I don't know if you saw it, took off his knee brace and threw it into the crowd. And people are like, that means it was almost playing. I'm not really sure that's how knee braces work, but in general, it was almost making a, an appeal to play.
3: Yuzoma said like a week ago, I'm playing in this game. I haven't heard Higby say that. Like Yuzoma yeah. seems to be dead set on playing in this game. Um, so that's the, that's the only negative about the Van Jefferson is I have seen it in some spots, but if there's no Higby, I definitely couldn't argue with the longest reception over for him.
2: or its affiliates.
3: I want to ask you about this run game. I think that you are down on Cam Akers. Yes. I need to hear your logic on why you. what what props have you bet, because we're going to do point-counterpoint here. What props have you bet where you're
0: fading Cam Akers in this game? So I took the under on Cam Akers rushing yards when it opened. And I think that was at 63.5. It might have been at 62.5. And And I would have told you with my chest, it wasn't going to get higher than that. And then it did. It's at 65 and a half right now. You can find 64 and a half at a couple of books as well. Uh, Akers, and we, I, I mentioned this on last week's podcast. I had the exact stats in front of me. I don't have them now. But, uh, you know, in terms of EPA per play, in terms of success rate, in terms of, of what he was doing from like advanced metric production, it wasn't good. Like acres wasn't looking the way you'd like for him to look on, on, on like success rate and, and EPA per play and all that stuff. Now, you and I both know a coach won't stop running a guy because the e paper play is bad. We wish he would, but he won't, right? And like Akers like looks juicy out there, right? Like Akers looks explosive. So people are projecting a Sean McVay classic turtle game where McVay, it's a big game. McVay has his, you know, running back back that he drafted. He always runs early in these games. He always runs with a lead in these games. Why wouldn't Akers get the volume? I firmly believe. A that they want to do a timeshare with Sonny Michelle, especially because they want Sonny to run duo and duo works better for them against the Bengals, in my opinion. But that's kind of aside. Much more strongly, I believe, that he got Matt Stafford for this game. The the whole point of Stafford was to have a dude who could win these games jared goff couldn't win them matt stafford can i think the rams come out and are very pass happy and i think that this this Bengals run defense especially their interior defensive line has a huge advantage over the Bengals over the rams interior offensive line which is not a good unit for them i think if they try to run i think they lose it early even if they are like decently high attempts i don't think they get a lot of movement in that interior i think Sonny has a change up role and i think very quickly they realize that Stafford is the guy. Was the reason we brought him into this game is to throw the football, and that's what we're going to do. So I don't think the projections for like high Cam Akers carry totals are appropriate. So I'm on under on the rushing yards. I think I took under on carries as well. Actually, like right before, I'm pretty sure I did it in the airport as I was leaving. Um, let me actually check my account and see if I did that or not.
3: Okay, while you're checking the account, here's yeah. here's my take on this. I firmly believe that you cannot just talk about Cam Akers' lack of efficiency without utilizing the context of the run defenses that he has played. The run defenses, I'm going to list out the run defenses that the LA Rams have played over their last five, six games. You didn't take it? I I would
0: take it under 16 and a half. I would.
3: Okay. Well, there's IP things that you can do if you you absolutely need to. Yeah, I got some apps we can talk about. But let's discuss this. Okay. Last game out, they played San Francisco. I am looking at rushing efficiency, on early downs, rushing efficiency on early downs, EPA per carry. Since week eight, the last, the second half of the season, basically, into the playoffs. San Francisco is the number one run defense yeah. on early down runs, EPA per play since week eight. Tampa Bay, the game they played right before that, number nine. Arizona, number 14. Then they played San Francisco again, number one. And they played Baltimore, number four. We are talking about a brutal schedule. Four of the five teams rank top 10. Two of them obviously, two of the games came against the number one run defense. Do You know where the Cincinnati Bengals rank on EPA per run? I don't, but I want to
0: fight you on Arizona cuz that run defense was horrible in the second okay, half of the season. Okay, okay, anyway, fight keep me on, going, on that.
3: Cincinnati ranks number 32 dead last over the second half of the season EPA per carry on early down running back runs. And this is primarily what Sean McVay loves to do, right? He he like you said he he runs into a brick wall. He car- does these first down carries. This is why Cam Akers sucked. Have you looked at the rushing efficiency of Sony Michel over these last few games, too, against these top also defenses? Bad. He was terrible, too. But Sean McVay is just not going to say, well, we couldn't run against the number one run defense of the 49ers or the number nine of the Bucks, so let's just not run the football here. I believe they're going to see that Cincinnati absolutely has sucked against the run. And if you look at some of the teams that Cincinnati has played, Cincinnati has given up rushing efficiency. Tennessee was terrible in the first quarter of that game. But if you go back and look at second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter statistics from Tennessee when they ran the football, they were good. I'm going to go back and look at the three playoff games and examine what the Bengals run D allowed on early downs against the Raiders, 6.4 yards per carry and positive EPA against the Titans, 5.7 yards per carry and positive EPA plus 0.11 against the Chiefs. 5.6 yards per carry, and plus 0.12 EPA, a 72% success rate on 18 attempts. I simply believe that when people are looking, and and I've heard this from a lot of people in in the media discussing Cam Akers this week.
0: It's gotta be one of the most bet props. I feel like everybody has a side on
3: it. Everybody feels like Cam Akers, because he sucked, is just terrible, and he's not back over his injury. The one thing that I think that they need to utilize Sony Michelle for is some more of the stretch runs. Cam has been terrible there, and Sony has been great, there's certain runs that Sony has been And they excellent. don't, but the
0: thing is, they don't like to do that, right? Yeah, they're and stupid. Like, it, 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 not they're sense. stupid, right? They, 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 they want to run cam on stretch, and they want to run Sony on inside stuff. And yeah. that's how they've always been. And it's very funny that, like, numbers-wise, that's, they, that's completely Comple- wrong. Completely the opposite that's way really to attack it. That. So,
3: at any rate, it's in my report, you, like, it's literally on page 11 of 53. But if somebody were to read that report, you would find that, I make a big case that I think Cam is going to have a lot of efficiency here. Now, I have not bet the over on his prop. I will tell you that there has been some sharp guys that have bet the over on his prop, and I don't disagree with that. I think the only thing that would limit his over is simply general volume, which makes sense, but there are most often less plays than you think in Super Bowls. Um, so I actually like Cam Akers here. I don't know that I dislike Sony, Michelle. I think that you were telling me earlier that you would I bet the over, over on, on Sony. T- I had
0: 20 and a half on Sony, yeah. which let me check and see where that line is right now. I don't now. necessarily
3: disagree with the over on Sony. I simply think that Cam is being really undervalued. And there's a lot of guys that are talking about Cam under, Cam under, Cam under. I, I disagree with that.
0: Right. So you can get Sonny Michelle over five and a half rushing attempts, which I like right now. Um, and then rushing yards for Sonny is, I'm scrolling because his name's way at the bottom, uh, 16 and a half, right? Wait, or, excuse me, not 16 and a half, 17 and a half, which to me is, is another over spot as well. I will say to transition, a over rushing yards bet that I really, 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 really like is Jamar Chase over three and a half. We talk about this guy like he's Debo. They've been using him on screens way more in the second half of the season. And the Super Bowl is the time where if you have a a trick play, if you have a gadget play, they've used him on reverses. They used him on a reverse after he had like a 60-yard catch and run against the Titans, which is a dumb, he was like exhausted. And they were like, it's time for a Jamar Chase reverse. They want to get the ball in his hands, right? And they've seen the value of what a rushing receiver can do in the San Francisco games against the Rams. All we need is one of these screens to be like a little bit further back than it should be too. And then we can cheese this bet as long as he gets four yards out of it. I like over three and a half rushing yards for Jamar Chase a lot.
3: Okay. I'm going to throw out one to you before I continue to rattle off some uh, questions about more props that you like. I believe that and this prop, I've seen it as high as plus 300. I've seen it as low as plus 120. Somebody messaged me last night that it was plus 185 at a book, so there's a variety of numbers that you can get on that. The first Bengals possession will end in A, and I'm choosing punt. And that's between, I seen like I said, plus 300, plus 120, any of those numbers. Here, here's what you look at. Here's my logic on this. Over the season, 11 punts, two fumbles, one interception, one missed field goal, and three touchdowns on the Bengals' opening drive of the game. But if you isolate just road games, seven punts, one fumble, well, one fuel one team. touchdown. They're the
0: home team now. Come on. I, I, I hear you. I know the here. NFL,
3: like they got to choose AFC. what jersey color they wanted to wear here. And, and so technically they are. But they have not performed nearly as well in these first drives of games outside of their home stadium. In the seven of the seven game opening drives that started at or inside their own 35-yard line. Six punts and one fumble. They've not scored a single point. They haven't attempted a single field goal. It's basically been nothing but pumps, punts. Now let's look at what the Rams' first drive is for their opponents that they've played this year. They have forced 12 punts, one fumble, one turnover on downs, two interceptions, two field goals, and two touchdowns. The last seven games the Rams have played, here were their opponents' opening drive of the game a punt after that team gained 23 yards, a punt after they gained eight yards, a punt after they gained 35, a punt after they gained 20, a punt after they gained four yards, a punt after they gained 23, and a punt after gaining three yards. That's seven straight punts forced by this Rams defense. They've allowed a total of three points in the last 10 games of opponent opening drives. I like the punt for their first drive and it's plus money. Thoughts on that?
0: I love that. I, I, and I've... Really enjoyed this year betting live drive results early in games. Uh, we have, we, we're, we're successful predicting script, right? Like we talk about the, the opening script of a team, their first 15, 18 plays, the offense has scripted. We know that they walk in with that menu. And so we can figure out which teams are really good and really bad on the script, right? Books, when they're initially pricing those first drive lines, whether it's before the game or live, because they'll do first drive, second drive, third drive, fourth drive, generally don't skew those lines to, to scripts and to successful first first quarter teams and unsuccessful first quarter defenses, the way you would expect them to. I remember that Eagles Bucks wild card game. Just every Bucks drive, touchdown, 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 and eventually the well runs dry because the Bucks learn and they kind of change the juice. But that's a position where a super young team with a super young coach whose defense has been playing really well in the Super Bowl, gonna get, he's going to go for it on a fourth and one? He's going to push the ball aggressively down the field? It's not going to happen, you know what I mean? Like yeah, If they score, that. it's going to be a laborious drive. You're going to get multiple third-down opportunities for the Rams to get them off the field. Those early drive props to me are, are really fun ones to take that like it's easy to get a logical argument for it, and then you get plus money. And yeah, you have to bet a lot of them for it to like, work long-term, but this sort of one for this this game absolutely makes yeah, sense.
3: Yeah, the only concern that I have here, the way that I could envision this lose is an a bad drive by the Rams they get backed up they punt the ball the Bengals only have to go 20 yards and then they're in long Evan McPherson range um which is why however I'll give you a bookend to this prop later on in the podcast oh wow teaser um, now the one fun part about betting these things especially because you're saying them here on this podcast and we know the ring our gambling show you know th- this was a newborn at the start of the season. This was, we we recorded yeah. the first shows of this new podcast, and now it's becoming one of the most popular gambling podcasts for football in the entire podcast universe, in the multiverse, okay? This thing is one of the best that there is. And because of that, a lot of people are hearing the props that you're sharing. And so when you get a nice 17 to 18 yard reception by right. Van Jefferson, You're going to tweet about it for damn sure. And you're going to get 100 likes on that tweet because everybody else knows that they just want some money along with you. So you're you're putting money in people's pockets when you're talking about these things. Is there another prop that you like that you think is going to have that same type of effect where you think you'll be able to, boom, it just hit. I'm going to tweet about it shitload of people are going to like it because they heard me say it on the Ringer Gambling Show.
0: Yes, and it's because it's the first play of the game, literally.
3: Okay, perfect.
0: Did you hear the commemorative football kickoff thing? Are you aware of this? Yes, yes. yes. the Pat McAfee, so, the kickoff going to go short. This is super cool, right? So, okay, let, let's walk this through. This, to me, is like a lot of Super Bowl props are done, like the like the non-game stuff, but this one's legitimately interesting and, in my opinion, a lot of fun. So, betting the first, the opening kickoff of the Super Bowl to be a touchback, yes or no? Well, like, you know, uh, Adam Turnoff of Covers has a really nice piece where he kind of breaks down the logic of how to bet this. But to summarize, all right, we're usually seeing touchbacks like 61, 62% of the time. So the books did that, and the juice did that direction. Cool, that's great, whatever. But Pat McAfee for FanDuel shared on his show that the ball used on the opening kickoff of a Super Bowl is a commemorative ball. It is a it is a celebration. It's meant to, like, be preserved as a trophy. And so it's heavier, and it's harder and it makes it more difficult for kickers to get the full distance on it, right? Then you get uh, uh, a kicker in Matt Gay for the Rams, who's been dealing with injury and hasn't had his leg be super great in terms of distance over the last few weeks. And all of a sudden, you have mad people betting on the first kickoff to n- to be a touchback. The market's been juiced up; it's minus one seventy right now, or something like that, for the first opening kickoff uh, to not be a touchback. So. I like, no. I like for first time kickoff, not to be a touchback. And because I need one of two things. I need a really bad opening kick from Matt Gay that has to be returned, A. Or B, I need a returner who's way too freaking jacked to be in the Super Bowl. Gets the ball, sees where he is and goes. To me, the idea of getting first kick in the Super Bowl to not be a touchback, to be returned at plus money is like arbitrary and dumb and I'm not going to like put it in my tracking sheet and I'm not going to like, you know, put like three units on it or whatever. But that's the sort of Super Bowl prop bet that like actually has a logical train for me. That's really, really fun. So, so you're
3: saying it's, I thought you said it's minus 170 now. Yeah. No, it's,
0: so it, I, I'll, let me find it real quick.
3: Okay. It is. So while you're looking. Yes. What I will share is this. Some people have quoted historical stats over the last three decades that 28 of the last 30 have actually been returned. Right. Unfortunately, what those morons aren't contemplating is the fact that the kickoff used to be from the 30-yard line. Now it's at the 35 for the last 10 years. So scrap the prior two decades where it literally was returned every every single single time. time for 20 straight years. Over the last 10 years, eight of the 10 have been returned. So it's still good odds that it would be returned based upon what's happened in the past. The only thing that I will add is this. I went back and looked at this. The average length of these kickoffs has been 66.1 yards. The goal line is 65 65 yards away. So on average, the football may be a little heavier and may be plasticky. It's still getting just inside that end zone. But if it's it's Matt Gay, maybe it's not average, right? Maybe it's more. no returner
0: has taken a ball one yard into the end zone and kneeling that. If you are right at the goal line, you are going. Right. Right. And so, uh, right, to clarify, it opened at minus 170, yes, a touchback. It opened at plus 150, no touchback. It has been bet up since then, but you can still get no at plus money. You can find it at like plus 105, plus 110, and I would recommend taking that. To me, that is that is a good opportunity to take a fun plus money prop. It happens literally on the first play yep. of the game, and you can immediately, like t- going back to your framework, immediately tweet that you won a Super Bowl bet yeah. on the first play, start off hot and then you know you'll fall down as as the rest of the game goes. But that to me, like that's that's the sort of stuff that's really cool to bet for the Super Bowl when there's an actual way to say like, all right, one of these dumb props will be a touchback. Like we can actually like figure this out. Like you have data, like we have information about the ball. That's what makes betting the props in this game a lot of fun.
3: Yes. And I'll just say this, and everybody knows this, I'm not educated anybody, but the new bettors out there who have who just started betting within the last like year or so. This is what I would encourage you to do for the Super Bowl because there's shitloads of props. We're sharing a bunch here. You're going to find others to bet. You might bet the Anthem props. You might bet the coin toss props. You might bet a lot of things before the game even starts. What I would advise doing is set aside however many hundreds or thousands of dollars that you want to risk on this game, betting props and be happy, not happy, be okay with the fact that it will never happen, but there's a chance that you could lose all of these And that's worth the enjoyment of the excitement that, that having this action on the game will bring to you. So even if I were to lose all of these, which I'm telling you guys, it's not gonna happen, especially if you're betting some of these that Ben and I are giving you, you're at least guaranteed a few winners here. But what I will say is this, if you go overboard and bet way too much money on these things, then you might be waking up Monday morning not feeling as great, especially if you're betting a shitload of things that like you don't really you don't have enough data on or familiar with, or a lot of weird shit happens sometimes in the Super Bowl. Um, that being said, I mean, I personally, like you said at the top have a lot already on a lot of different props. And I'm going to continue to bet heavily into the prop market. It absolutely is something that is going to be a moneymaker for me uh, this Super Bowl. Here's another one that I wanted to share with you um, before getting one from you. And I said I was going to have like a bookend to the first drive is a punt. And that is the first scoring play for the Bengals to be a field goal. And that's only at, I want to say that also the line is varied. I've seen it at minus 110. I've seen it at plus money. Yeah, so yeah. again, like
0: some of these books are just dealing the drive, weird numbers. The drive market right now is a really good market. You can like be on multiple books and price it out.
3: Yeah, you, yeah. you just, just look at your options. This is why we always say the more options you have, the more money you'll make betting sports. Like it yeah. sounds stupid like oh why do i want to spread all this money out of different spots first of all most these spots give you sign up bonuses second of all you can hunt for numbers and it's super why are you buying a gallon of
0: milk for two dollars if it's you know 1.75 somewhere else
3: exactly exactly so let's isolate once again the Bengals road games i'll say in their 20 games that they've played nine field goals 11 touchdowns that's overall if you isolate the road games working from most recent road game of the season Field goal, field goal, field goal, field goal, field goal, that's five. A touchdown versus the Jets, a field goal, a touchdown versus the Lions, a touchdown versus the Steelers, their second road game of the year, and then a field goal, seven field goals and three touchdowns and five straight road games where their first score was a field goal. Then if you want to know what the Rams defense has done over the last eight games, touchdown, field goal, field goal, field goal, field goal, field goal touchdown versus the Seahawks and field goal, that's six field goals and two touchdowns. I also believe, and we saw this a lot against the Tennessee Titans. I know people are sick. I think it's a little ludicrous and ridiculous how much we're talking about Evan McPherson. I know he's Money Mac and everything, but like, there's been far too much Evan McPherson discussion about a Super Bowl for my liking. That being said, like, the issue here is you're going to have a third and six or third and seven inevitably if they get down into the red zone. Let's say that let's say they get down to the, the Bengals get down to the red zone, even on their first drive. Maybe they settle for a field goal and they don't get down to the red zone on their first drive. That's obviously what we're banking on happening. But let's pretend their first drive gets all the way down into the red zone. Maybe not their first drive because we got a punt on the first drive. So let's pretend it's their third drive of the game. They get down into the red zone, 36, 37. Just like what happened against the Tennessee Titans, pressure. Joe Burrow, fumble. Not fumble. Joe Burrow, sack. Now it's fourth down. You got a kick. So I like first score to be a field goal, not a touchdown.
0: Any thoughts there? absolutely we the the Bengals only got here because they're kicking field goals and, and and i forget it was uh oh it's colin cowherd who said that the Bengals and the rams are evidence that you should kick field goals and not go for it on fourth down because they're here in the super bowl now which we love colin and colin's just out here you know doing what he does best not we, we contrarian got that's yeah, a very yeah.
3: contrarian take yeah, yeah. to stir the
0: pot right but that's the thing is it's these coaches, in terms of uh, psychologically, in terms of how they feel, in terms of what their gut's going to be telling them when they're out there in the Super Bowl and the crowds are roaring or whatever, are going to settle for field goals. And they're going to do it on fourth downs that they shouldn't be going for. And I generally, I do agree with you that we're talking a lot about field goals and a lot about field goal props to Evan McPherson, more than we would in the average um, uh, uh, podcast, the average Super Bowl lead up or whatever. But one that I've looked at that's on FanDuel that I really like, I was talking about this with Bill last night is total successful field goal distance, which is the combined yardage of field goals made by Matt Gay, made by Evan McPherson altogether. That number right now is set at 120.5, which is three 40-plus yard field goals, four 30-plus yard field goals. With the number of attempts we expect these teams to take, that number feels right. That number feels appropriate. You know, like, they'll obviously, they'll kick when they're in red zone as well, which is irritating. But both of these defenses, in my estimation, have the ability to get stops in that 30 to 40-yard range. And then both these kickers, Matt Gay, injury aside, have the ability, and they've shown it this season, to hit 40-plus yarders, hit 45, and McPherson hit 50-plus yarders. FanDuel's juiced up to, like, minus 142. And that's the thing is I don't want to pay that price for that. But looking at, um, at successful field goal distance to me and like those, those added things you can get longest field goal over 47 and a half yards at minus 112. Again, to me, it's, it's too, it's too high. It's too juice. I don't want to do it. I don't have enough experience betting field goals either to like feel confident in it. But this, this market is attackable because of how predictable these teams are at attempting field goals. And then particularly for the Bengals, how predictable McPherson is in hitting them.
2: Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client.
3: Vandal, you're listening to us. You, you obviously sponsored this show. Um, I, need to, I need to make a request for you. you. You got a few more days to do this. Please add the MVP To the same game parlay menu, so that we can parlay statistics, catches, receptions, uh, all yardage, all these things, along with the MVP, and build up our same game parlay portfolio stronger.
0: No, but this is a really important point. So I was talking about this with some people on, uh, like you know, here in Radio Row and during the week and whatever. But when you're betting the MVP market, you have to. You absolutely have to do the work to check what a same-game parlay would look like for an implied MVP 100%.
3: Winner. Yes,
0: so let's take an example. The, Joe Burrow's going to win MVP. Warren, he's going to win MVP, all right? I tell you okay. that. What, 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 what yep. happened How? if Burrow won MVP? Yep. All right, well, the Bengals won the game. Yep. Money line is plus 166. Okay, we're on FanDuel right now. Let's go to passing props. Over 276.5 yards. I don't, even really have to, I, I don't really have to go that high. I can go yep. over 250 yards. Okay. That's plus 264. Just those two. Joe Burrow right now in the MVP market is plus 250. Right. I took his passing yardage number down. I made the Bengals win, which has to happen for him to win MVP, and I got better odds. Yep. So if so, if you're saying, all right, Jamar Chase for MVP, go find you a multi Jamar Chase two plus touchdowns Jamar Chase over 100 receiving yards. Get your, ex- not your exact same bet, but get a very similar bet with way, way, way better odds, with way better juice. And you can go and bet Jamar Chase MVP as well if you want, if you really want to pay that price, if you're really worried about missing on on what you correlate. But in general, if you're expecting that MVP performance, like, all right, I kind of like, you know, the Rams to win, but if the Bengals win, it's got to be one of Burrow or Chase, right? Build some same game parlays, get it at odds up to plus 500, sprinkle on them and hedge, right? Like, I'm going to be on the Rams. You better know I'm going to have a Joe Burrow same game parlay MVP. You better know I'm going to have a Jamar Chase same game parlay MVP because if I miss those Ram bets, those are very likely to save my bankroll.
3: Yeah. No, 100%. I've been on this train since last week when I started looking at the MVP odds, and so many people wanna talk about MVP. What's the smartest MVP? What's a good long shot MVP? All these different factors you could discuss. And I've simply been saying, you will get better numbers betting same game parlays if you build out what has to happen for the guy to get MVP than if you do just get betting MVP. And that's what a lot of the sports books do in general. They give you easy options right there on the home screen that they entice you to bet that Absolutely. are just very simple to do. Never trust Do home your screen. homework do some research, figure out how to build out a same game parlay that's going to net you significantly more money. And I completely agree with that. Okay, lay out another prop bet that you really like in this game.
0: Uh, another kind of total uh, in terms of, of what cumulatively happens. Right now, it's Caesars if you have it. Over 0.5, or excuse me, over 1.5 interceptions for the game is minus 130. That to me makes a lot of sense. I'll tell you why. Uh, Joe Burrow, we've talked about the pressure. How do you want to bet into the pressure? You can get, you know, sack total markets for the Rams if you want, if you're like paying minus 230 for over two and a half, you know what I mean? And I'm hoping we get some better sack lines to take later in the week. But in general, to me, like that market is getting hit so hard, it's getting hammered. I've talked about how I'm going to take under on Joe Burrow passing attempts, because I think that, you know, that pressure creates sacks and creates scrambles. So basically, it's a question of like, all right, how do I want to bet this pressure? Well, I'd also like to bet this pressure by betting into the interception market. Joe Burrow has generally done a really good job of avoiding interceptions this year. He's more much more likely to take a sack than throw a pick. But we know that pressure can force the ball out. We know that hits on throws can force the ball out. These rushers here at the Rams are really good at finishing at the throwing arm of the quarterback as well. Uh, Aaron Donald's done that well for his entire career. Von Miller's done that well for his entire career. So you're going to get hits on throws that put ducks up into the air. Now we have the potential for an interception. Burrow also, we got to remember, doesn't have the strongest arm, and that means that throws can be drove on. So yes, I know Burrow has generally avoided interceptions well this season. He had 14 during the regular season, but he's had two in the postseason. He's thrown two in the last three games. And then we have Matt Stafford, who I remember saying on this pod like four weeks ago when I was fading the Rams in the postseason, I was an idiot. Just because Matt Stafford had one good game doesn't mean we can believe the next Matt Stafford game is good. He is, a, he is liable at any time for that blow up right? And so, yeah, Stafford's had a, a few really good games in the postseason. Stafford gets to two picks on his own in a half. We've seen him do it multiple times this year. He did against the Vikings right through three picks. The Ravens right through two picks. The Niners again, right through two picks. He has had these multi-interception games. So I'm getting a volatile high interception quarterback in Stafford, plus a guy who's going to be in a ton of pressure in Joe Burrow, the potential for that duck, the potential for that hit on throw. Minus 130 is not as much juice as I expected. I like that for over one and a half interceptions.
3: So here's the other thing. This is a perfect way to discuss another element of this game that I wanted to with you when you talked about the Van Jefferson longest reception. Yeah, And that is Matt Stafford's longest completion. Um, And that relates to the defensive coverage that he's going to get in this game. I want to ask you about the rush three drop eight. We already talked about that before conceptually. We don't have to rehash that discussion. I'm just curious if any of your thoughts have formalized a little bit further about what we're going to get here from the Bengals in this game. We know that Stafford, you know, some of the numbers that we cited before, he's bad against three or fewer pass rushers. He goes from ranking number one in the NFL and EPA per attempt and yards per attempt when there's five plus pass rushers, to number 24 in EPA per attempt at minus 0.13 when there's three or fewer pass rushers. And his yards per attempt goes all the way down to 3.9. He's been terrible there. But one of the interesting elements here, Ben, is playing zone without blitzing, which is something that the Bengals also do. 59% of their pass snaps against them, they've played zone and didn't blitz. That's the seventh highest rate of utilizing this coverage in the NFL and if you look at what Matthew Stafford's touchdown to interception rate against this coverage, it's 12 touchdowns to 14 interceptions. So we are talking about, like, he throws a ton of interceptions. I think on the season, what does he have, Ben? 17 interceptions? I mean, most of his interceptions are coming when teams don't blitz him but play coverage in the back with a play zone coverage in the back. So what do you... See out of Matthew Stafford in this game in terms of the coverage that we're going to get from the Cincinnati Bengals here. Are they going to play a lot of this no blitz and play zone and the rush three drop eight? Are you, are you very convicted about that at this point?
0: Yeah. I, I, I believe they will because they, they did it at a high clip during the season. Even before the Chiefs game, they were playing drop eight at a high clip. They saw the success they got it from the Chiefs game, right? Where they did it at a higher clip than they ever had. And then they have a Rams team where it's like, all right. Why wouldn't we? You know what I mean? Like, what, what, what are we going to get burned from here? This isn't the sort of team that, you know, Cam Akers discussion aside, it's going to be able to line up and really run it on us, right? If we're giving them these light looks. I will say something, and I was trying to find it when you were talking. I can't figure out, I, I can't remember who tweeted it out, but somebody made the point, and it's a good point, that all these Stafford numbers of him against Drop Eight is like a really small sample yes. size 42. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, like, right, it's like 42. I thought I thought saw like 45 in another charting spot, right? It's like, we don't really, really know. So exactly what Stafford does against drop eight, but in general, we can, we can map onto it and we can expect it's going to force short throws. It's going to keep that, that, uh, that, that depth of target down. It's going to put a blanket on top of the deep routes. I believe all that to be true. What really worries me about taking an under on Stafford's longest reception is the fact that he will see a look that he should not throw a deep ball into and then do it right? I like taking the longest reception when a quarterback is going to be afraid, right? When a quarterback's not going to see that and he's going to respect it, right? And that's kind of where we're, like, we're with Mahomes. Like could drop eight. Oh, he's been so good at throwing underneath, right? And then in the past game, and then they get yards after the catch, whatever. Stafford's kind of nuts, right? And he's been nuts this year, and he will attack downfield coverage that looks like it's solid, that looks like it shouldn't be attacked. They don't have, like, ball winners, right? It's not like they have like a T Higgins or a Jamar Chase, but they do have Odell who's really good in that. And they've been targeting him on go routes more this season, and especially in the playoffs than they have other receivers since they got him. They do have Van Jefferson, who's a guy that they've been willing to stretch the field with, and they'll run those deep combinations, right? They'll run like intermediate and deep looks where they're really trying to stretch you out far down the field. Think like what the Bills did against the Chiefs, right? Where it's like, all right, if you're going to cover us deep, we're just going to go deeper. They have the arm to do that and they have the receivers to do that. I think it could discourage them. I think 39 and a half is too high, but it's not one I have a lot of conviction on because Stafford's a nutcase, right? Stafford is a guy who if I'm setting my watch to him, it's him being aggressive. And so I'm not as positive that drop eight's gonna discourage him from downfield targets the way it does for other quarterbacks. Okay, so you you lean over or you have no opinion on the longest? Under make under makes sense. Like if I were to, if you were to put a gun in my hand and tell me to take one, I would take under okay. because of the way the matchup works. I just am worried that Stafford's gonna make an aggressive throw get a great Cooper Cup catch somewhere it didn't belong to happen or it shouldn't have happened relative to the coverage, and all of a sudden we kind of miss it on that prop. So it's a tough one for me.
3: Okay. So I want to ask you for one more, and then I'm going to rattle off. A, give me this one quick, and then I want to rattle off a few prop ideas that I would just want a quick take from you.
0: Absolutely. Uh, shortest touchdown yardage over 1.5. Both of these teams get to the red zone, uh, try to run, absolutely suck at it, and then start throwing right? And they have guys who they really like on matchups in the red zone. We've seen Odell be extremely heavily targeted in the red zone, especially down the stretch. They like to use him in isolation spots. You can run that from the three yard line. You can run that from the four yard line. We see with the Bengals, they, the Bengals love to try to run it on like second down in the red zone. Never worked. It's absolutely disgusting, right? They had six opportunities to score a touchdown inside one and a half yards against the Chiefs in the regular season. Zero against the Jets, right? Good defensive line, right? Teams that could beat their their dudes in the trenches, had all these opportunities inside the five, couldn't get it done. So yes, the Bengals have attempts to score touchdowns shorter than 1.5 yards and they suck at it, right? So you're you're running a little bit of a risk, but at plus 138, which is a line that you can get at some spots, uh, to me, it's worth it because I get the positive number. I think both of these teams are going to spread and attack with their their receiver matchups when they get into the red zone that's something you can do from five yards out from 10 yards out from three yards out it does not going to be a one two yard situation so if you're going to give me plus money on over 1.5 for longest touchdown especially when we expect a lot of field goals means not a lot of touchdowns i'll take that
3: okay now i'm going to hit you with a bunch of different props i i I gotta tell you i i hate it when people do this to me because you're like trying to but you got a you got a computer like brain you're going to process this stuff real quick so i'm going to do it to you anyways um just give me your honest quick take, and then we'll move to the next one. Are you over or under Joe Mixon rushing yards or Joe Mixon rushing receiving yards? Which which side do you fall on that one? I'm
0: I'm, I'm generally on on over for Mixon rushing yards. It's not. I, I wouldn't say it's a like it's a big lean. It's one thing that's something I feel strongly about. But I do think if one of these coaches becomes unnecessarily fearful and becomes unnecessarily unnecessarily run heavy, it will be the Bengals. And so if you're like Joe Mixon's, what he's uh. Or low, low 60s yeah
3: 65 and a half yeah, rushing yeah. yards 63 and a half something like that
0: yeah yeah. so right now FanDuel like over 62 and a half for Joe Mixon is available at minus 105 I'd probably take that if I could bet on FanDuel right now I'd make him to be like mid 60s high 60s
3: okay Rams to have more first downs minus 145
0: oh I've never even thought about a more first downs bet so they've so got, got the more way, yeah. first downs and they've got
3: more total yardage so mm-hmm. Let's say you want the Bengals to win this game. You know, you start thinking about how they're going to do it. Or if you like the Rams to win this game, instead of betting Rams on the money line at minus 190, you can bet the Rams to have more first downs or the Rams to have more total
0: yards. The thing about Rams first downs, like I I have no experience betting into this market, so I don't know where I land on this. The thing that worries me is that when the Rams get first downs, they can get them with explosives, right? So like a 20-yard gain on first and 10 counts for one first down, as opposed to like a four-yard gain on third and three, one first down. The Bengals are going to get more first downs per drive. I'll put it to you that way, right? both offenses are working the way they're supposed to work, the Bengals are going to be more nickel and dimey, where the Rams are going to be more explosive. So that freaks me out a little bit. But I also, I don't think the Bengals move the ball, right? So more first downs at minus 145 feels intuitive to me.
3: Okay. Let me ask you just a follow-up question. When you say that you think the Rams are going to be more explosive, so you don't think the drop eight and you don't think the the zone that they're going to play – I know you said Matthew Stafford's kind of a psycho and we'll just test it a little bit. But do you think that's going to consistently work to get these explosives? Yeah.
0: So when I, when I, when I say explosives, especially talking about this game, I'm thinking about like a 15 yard dig. You know what I mean? I'm not necessarily thinking about like 40 yards. Yeah. 30 yard Odell isolation. And that's how this team is, right? Like they have Odell. They can throw that vertical round. Now they can throw that back shoulder fade. That's nice. It's good to have in your pocket, but they run it to open the dig. They run it to open the sale route, like the outcut from Cooper Cup from the slot, right? This team wants to live in that 10 to 20 air yard window. So drop eight, again, like can take that away. But in general, like if you're triggering on it with with with, with good timing, with good anticipation, you're running a good route, it'll still be open between the layers of the defense, no matter how many guys you put in there. And that's what Stafford really does for this team. So I, I use the word explosive there, but when I when I say that, I'm thinking of like your 15 yard gains in okay. that area instead of like your like 30 plus yard gains.
3: More pass attempts, Joe Burrow, at plus 100 or Matthew Stafford. I don't know the other side of that, probably
0: minus 120. Yeah, so I like Stafford, right? I'm under on Burrow's passing attempts. And like I said, I, I have confidence, you know, kind of reading the tea leaves that McVay for the mistakes he made in his first Super Bowl prep for the trade he made for Matt Stafford for the way he's seen Stafford perform over the last few weeks. I know, I know I, I don't trust Stafford week to week, but I'm sure Sean McVeigh, his coaching staff does. I think they come out and they throw the ball a lot. I like Stafford to, to be able to beat out uh, Burrow in passing attempts.
3: Okay. No score first six minutes or no score first
0: seven and a half minutes. Love it. It's what is it? It's plus one. Or, no, no, no. It's seven not. and a half yeah. is plus
3: money. No score first six. I've seen it at like minus 120. Yeah. Then obviously the more minutes you add, the better the juice gets.
0: I forgot about this one and I love this one. Uh, it is, I very much expect a mistake riddled, jumpy start in this game. You have a Bengals team that is extremely young with very little Super Bowl experience, you have a Rams team that, yes, has Super Bowl experience, but has a quarterback who hasn't been here before. And you have two coaches who love to, to feel it out early, right? They love to be a little bit more cautious. And they love to say, all right, you know, we're going to try this, try that. I think you're going to get drops. I think you're going to get false start and procedural penalties. I think this thing is ugly to begin with and then kind of opens up late. So I, I, plus money on no score for, for seven minutes, 30 seconds, right? It's the first yep. half of the first quarter. I like that.
3: Okay. Okay does it correlate to you that the second half plus overtime will be higher scoring at minus 145?
0: Yep. And I have the first half under, which I think was at 24 and a half when I took it accordingly. And then second half, I'm more likely to look to live bet that than anything else, just because I do want to see run past and kind of how quick that half's going to go. But I do strongly think second half is more likely to be a high scoring than the first half. Okay. With overtime as well is really nice.
3: Yes. Last one for you, Ben. Cam Akers over 15 and a half receiving yards. Any thoughts there? i don't think since you, you know, don't like since you think it's going to be a timeshare more or yeah. less probably less opportunities for him to exactly. be on the field to catch pass and
0: and uh, here's the thing though one screen I uh, because acres is is explosive right now when he gets into the open field right the problem is like getting behind the line and blocking it out and the rams have run a lot of screens with more success recently uh one screen gets us there i don't like it because of the opportunity but as I say that, I see the 13 yard screen happening in my head and I know that there's potential there. So that's probably one that I, I wouldn't take because of, of the worry there. Whenever you get those low receiving total lines, you just know one busted play. Like They throw the wheel to Acres sometimes, you know, like all it takes is one big one. So I get why you're over there. For me, expecting what I expect from Acres, I'm off that one. I, would, I wouldn't take it.
3: Okay. Let's wrap up by asking you, is there any bet that you love that you have not yet discussed with us today?
0: Absolutely. Uh I'll, I'll put it to you this way. My fun one, the fun one that I, I'm, I'm doing for a good You're time. You're saying
3: opening kickoff's not fun?
0: That's pretty fun. Opening kickoff is fun. The fun uh, bet that I'm personally taking is, uh, you know, and like I said, like this won't be like big in my sheet or whatever, but if you parlay T. Higgins two total touchdowns and T. Higgins over 100 receiving yards, you get plus 2579. So a $100 bet would make 2,500 for you. Uh, I expect heavy T. Higgins I think it's a how well T is played in these situations, and b how poorly Darius Williams is played. And so I like seeing T as a red zone threat, as a as a fade threat, as a big play threat. I think that, like I said, we're more likely to get a big a big T Higgins game than a big Jamar Jays game. And you can do that as well if you have match bet opportunities where you can bet most receiving yards compared Higgins versus Chase. I like all of those when you're able to get Higgins uh, up against Chase.
3: T Higgins first reception over nine and a half. First reception. How do you bet first reception? Is it just that you they expect first, the script? So so last Super Bowl, uh, I guess it was the, the, the 2019 Super Bowl. My strongest prop of the week was Kyle Juszczyk's first reception over, I want to say it was seven and a half, and he got 10 yards and scored a touchdown on his first reception. That's that really was my cool. strongest. So I just dug in, right. analyzed it, figured out that that's when he would throw him the ball. A wide receiver is a little bit different wide receiver is a little bit different with how you check you're going to dial up a play and you're going to only throw it to him if that's the look that you're getting for
0: that play can you bet like uh player to convert the first third down for a team i don't know that, i would love that because you could go right into a script and find that in a heartbeat right like i would yep. take jamar chase at any juice to be the first third down conversion he's gonna get the first target i don't know if he catches it but he's gonna get it you know what i mean um but that's really interesting first reception yeah, I mean, like, I would I would be surprised if Higgins' first target isn't a deep ball, right? Because, like, Chase is the screen guy. Boyd is underneath, especially if Uzama is out. Like, over nine and a half feels right. Why are they throwing T. Higgins a five-yard slam for? There's no reason to with the guys you have on the team. Yeah, why not? Over nine and a half. Let's do it.
3: And that'll do it. That was fun. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back Friday with Joe House to get his final picks of the NFL season. I'll share a few of mine as well. Of course, thanks to Ben Solak for joining me. Thanks to Mike Wargron, Craig Holbreck, and Isaiah Blakely for producing the show. And we will see you guys on Friday.
2: This episode is brought to you by UGG.